Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Happy Tuesday, guys, and welcome back to the show. If you're new here, I'm your host, Sif, and I am so excited to bring you another amazing conversation. So today's guest is Dr. Laura Devkin, who is a plastic surgeon extraordinaire. You may have seen her literally all over Instagram or heard of her incredible skincare products, which I've talked about as well on many, many occasions. So I got really curious about Dr. Laura Devkin when literally everyone under the sun was talking about how incredible their face looked after they got Botox with her. She she was like the queen. And so then I started following her page and got really interested in her skincare products and blah, blah, blah. And eventually knew that I had to have her on the podcast because this woman sounds like so knowledgeable. And I knew that I would learn a lot from her and that you guys would learn a lot from her. And let me tell you, she definitely did not disappoint. We really get into the nitty gritty of plastic surgery trends, when you should start Botox, celebrity trends. She has a lot of celebrity clientele, so she knows what she's talking about. And of course, if you're not interested in plastic surgery or you know injectables at all, there is a good portion of this podcast, which is dedicated to really fucking great skincare. I've talked about Dr. Laura Devkin's products before. Her vitamin CBE Ferulic Serum is bomb. I use it every morning and I highly recommend it. We get into the details of that serum and like all the other products in her line as we get into this podcast, basically, along with like she explains like different ingredients that you should be integrating into your skincare uh, routine. It's a very, very informative conversation. And if you are interested in plastic surgery, you don't know where to start. I think that it's just a very good resource to have. So, you know, excited to bring you this conversation before we dive in, since we are chatting about skincare, we really can't get into skincare before talking about sunscreen, right? So, I have an awesome sunscreen recommendation for you guys. It is the Kula Sun Silk Drops. So this is a product I've been using now for two years and it really is an incredible sunscreen. It gives your skin this nice glow. It is... Um, what is it? I think it's a mineral sunscreen. That's what it's called. It's basically chemical free, but it doesn't give you that like disgusting white cast, which a lot of these sunscreens do. And it doesn't irritate your skin. It gives it this nice glow and it's this like very lightweight, beautiful product. So even if you hate sunscreen, which I mean, come on guys, let's, let's get it together. We got to take care of our skin. <laughs> even if you hate sunscreen though, you will love this one. I guarantee it. So if you haven't yet and are in the market for a good sunscreen, try the coolest and silk drops. With that, let's welcome Dr. Laura Devkin to the show. So first question for you I have is what was your big dream when you were growing up? When I was growing up, I wanted to be an artist. Really? That was my first big dream. Yeah. 
Well, you ended up being kind of an artist through plastic surgery. I feel like it's an art form and it's in and of itself. Yeah, I, it kind of came true. But when I was little, I was really attracted to the beauty of art. I loved drawing and painting. I grew up in L.A. in Malibu, Old Getty Museum, and I did art classes there every weekend. And I thought I was going to grow up and be a painter. And, you know, I was a classically trained artist growing up, and that was my big dream. Wow. So then what got you into plastic surgery? I think plastic surgery, as you said, is really the ultimate form of art meets anatomy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, life takes its many twists and turns. And I was really attracted to science and medicine and this incredible way that a career in medicine and surgery allows you to have such a profound impact on somebody's life. I really love the detailed intricacy of the human body. And plastic surgery is truly the balance of art and anatomy. And it allows you to look at people and help people in a way where aesthetics mean a lot. So it's not exactly like painting, but there are definitely sculptural aspects to it. It's so funny that you say that because I interviewed another plastic surgeon and he said the same thing. He said that like plastic surgery is almost like you're a sculptor and like it it really is like something that you take such pride in and it's your work, you know, and you, like he like the way he said he talked about it, it, it sounds like art. And so like that's kind of been my perception of it ever since that conversation. So it's really cool. You have to have a vision if mm-hmm. you're a plastic surgeon and in the same way that Mozart is different from Beethoven and Picasso is different from Renoir. Every plastic surgeon has a little bit of a different aesthetic. And you can see that when you look at the work of plastic surgeons and how heavy-handed or light-handed they are and what kind of breast augmentations they do or rhinoplasties or facelifts. And there's a little bit of your hand that stays with the patients forever. And I think that That's the ultimate form of responsibility Mm -hmm. that you have as a plastic surgeon. In most types of surgery, your work is hidden on the inside. You know, you'll never really see what your general surgeon did to your appendix. It's Mm -hmm. kind of, it's gone and it's on the inside and it's tucked away. But in plastic surgery, your work is all on the outside and the scars are visible or hopefully not that visible, but it's all there front and center. So... I obviously stalked your Instagram before our interview (laughs) while I was prepping, and you talk a lot about facial optimization, which is not something I've seen before. And so can you talk a little bit about what this means? Because I think it's like really your thing. Yeah, I think that facial optimization is probably the concept and term that I'm most famous for. And facial optimization is the unique blend of surgical and non-surgical procedures that really brings to light and harmony the balance of an individual's features. And so when we think about facial optimization, we're really thinking about how to preserve your identity while also improving and optimizing facial attractiveness. So it's not about making a cookie cutter face or making you look like a certain reality TV star or the cover of a magazine or just like everybody else. It's about leaning into the uniqueness of your features, but making them a little bit more harmonious and, you know, really optimizing your face in the same way that a really skilled makeup artist might make you look like a better version of yourself or a really skilled hairstylist might bring out the little subtle highlight that you used to have when you were a kid or a really skilled stylist might really figure out how to dress to your body type rather than squeeze you into a size that doesn't fit. And that's how I think of facial optimization. So then walk me through the process. Like someone comes to you, like what's that whole process like? Like how do you decide where you're injecting or where it's more appropriate to actually do surgery? Or is it like, you know, a collaborative process? It's a very collaborative process. I think that finding a plastic surgeon and going through the process of a plastic surgical experience is a lot like commissioning an artist to make a very beautiful and very high stakes painting for you. And you want to have a conversation You want to have a good idea of your goals and expectations, you know, some practical pieces like your downtime, your budget, like what you're hoping to get out of it. But you also want to defer to the expertise of the person who's on the other end of the scalpel, because that's obviously somebody with 
hopefully 20 years or more of education and training who's going to offer you some ideas. And it's a very collaborative and bespoke and customized process in order to give somebody an elegant and restrained outcome. Almost all of the patients in my practice have a combination of surgical and non-surgical procedures to achieve that very beautiful did they or didn't they kind of look. And I think I've been very fortunate to be tasked with taking care of some of the most beautiful and frequently photographed faces around the world. And part of the mystique and aura of those people is that they're very compelling, but it's hard to tell if anything has even happened. They just look the same for a, you know, a 5, 10, 20, 30 year period and you don't understand why. And it's really hard to understand what's so magical about their faces and bodies. But, yeah. you know, that's a different topic, which oh, we can talk about too. Oh, there's like, like <laughs> many a follow-up questions I have. But the first one is, are you able to achieve facial optimization through not surgical methods, but more like Botox and filler and that kind of route? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, depending on what you want, there are many different options available. Mm -hmm. I think in 2021 and beyond, there are so many tools that we have in our toolkit. And one of the most powerful things that I can offer my patients is extreme facility with everything that there is out there. And so I try to evenly split my practice between surgical and non-surgical techniques because I think that if all you have is a hammer, then everything is a nail. So what I try to do is make sure that when I talk to a patient, I want to offer them the least invasive possible technique that I can offer them that will make them happy. And if that means just a little injectable something, then maybe that's it. You know, it could be something as simple as topical skincare, a laser resurfacing, microinfusion, microneedling, Botox, fillers, suture suspension, lifting, or a surgical procedure in the operating room where we're, you know, lifting the entire deep plane of the face, breast augmentation, implants, body contouring, lifting, liposuction. There are so many things available that if you have a lot of instruments in your toolkit, you can offer someone an extremely customized outcome. But a lot of younger patients, a lot of patients who don't have much downtime, a lot of patients who don't have the appetite or stomach or desire for a scar or an incision, or patients who are just a little bit nervous about surgery, mm -hmm. a lot of those people want to start with something that's less invasive and a little needle prick doesn't seem quite as scary and that can be a very beautiful way to start. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. So what are some trends in the non-invasive world that you're seeing? Because I feel like we're in an era where a lot of people just look the same. Like everyone has almost this like Kylie Jenner face. And I mean, it's Instagram like, face. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's an Instagram face. Everyone kind of has that, that like look. So the big puffy lips, big structured cheekbones, you know, long, dark hair. You know, it's a whole Instagram look, totally. And it's a little disturbing. So is like when people come in to see you, is this something that they're often asking for? Like what what's your kind of approach really? No, I mean, I think that I don't want to see a generation of Instagram clones. Mm -hmm. I want to see people leaning into their own facial identities and being their own kind of beautiful. And I think that that's what modern beauty really is. We live in this very cool diverse world where there are so many different kinds of people, beauty being so many different things. It's so different when I was growing up in LA in the 90s where you had to look like a very tall, skinny, blonde cover model in order to be considered beautiful. Now you can look like just about anything and in a certain demographic, you're going to be considered all there is. So I think that's amazing. And I think it's so much more 
freeing for people, especially young people today. So I think my goal is to not create cookie cutters. It's to allow people to feel more free about being confident and being the best versions of themselves. Do you feel like there are trends that are kind of regional or like trends that people come to you to pursue? Yes. So one of the major trends in plastic surgery right now is non-surgical rhinoplasty. And that's a procedure that when I was coming of age as a plastic surgeon, when I was graduating my residency and fellowship, you know, I had never even seen somebody do a non-surgical rhinoplasty in person. And now I've done nearly 20,000 non-surgical rhinoplasties. Yeah. That's wild. And it's a truly game-changing procedure, and I'm sure you've seen a bunch of them on my Instagram page um, and website, but a non-surgical rhinoplasty is the use of injectable filler as if it were a surgical cartilage graft, and you can truly make the nose look like you've performed a surgical procedure. You can make a dorsal hump or bulbous tip or downward-pointing nasal tip look straight, refined, lifted, delicate you know, truly transformed and beautiful in a way that people never really conceived was possible. And this is an application of a minimally invasive technique using surgical methodology and anatomy in a really powerful way. So that's one big trend. I think another trend in surgery right now is smaller procedures at younger ages. Mm. So people used to think about facelifts as a procedure that you had in your 50s. Now I'm seeing patients in their 40s, in some cases even late 30s, doing tiny, tiny, discrete procedures with very tiny incisions, in some cases not even on the face, hidden behind the ears and under the chin, just helping to keep them you know, look and feel very super confident because little tiny procedures performed at a younger age will allow you to have the healing propensity of a younger person and allow you to have a more discreet before and after. So I think those are two of the biggest trends that we're seeing. We're also seeing a major trend towards subtlety instead of the big obvious gigantic breast implants. We're seeing really tiny subtle changes in body contouring. We're seeing much more subtle lips instead of the huge, you know, poofy, trouty, pouty lips, like more subtle, Mm -hmm. understated lips. I think overall there's a trend toward naturalness. And I think the biggest trend in general for the entire industry is that there's going to be an emphasis on minimally invasive procedures. And that's true in all aspects of medicine. Scars are getting smaller procedures are becoming less invasive, downtime is shrinking, lasers are becoming more sophisticated. You know, it's the same way a computer used to be the size of this room, and now it's like a little tiny iPhone in our pocket. Mm -hmm. And that's happening in medicine too. This is so fascinating. So let's go back to the concept of like these like mini, I guess, mini facelifts, right? Mm -hmm. Are they like the same theoretically as preventative Botox? Like as in like if you start at a certain age, like maybe in your late 30s or early 40s or what have you, you kind of get to preserve that look for a longer period of time? So surgery is a little bit different from non-surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. With preventative Botox, I think you're literally preventing wrinkles from setting in Mm -hmm. because the face is like a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. You know, the more times you fold it, the deeper lines will become etched into it. So if you're doing baby Botox starting at a young age, you'll just literally never get those etched lines. And 20 years later, you won't have the wrinkles that you would otherwise have. With a surgical procedure, you're not preventing the things that cause aging. So the loss of collagen, tissue descent, loss of elastin and diminishment of tissue elasticity, volume loss. Those things are inevitable consequences of time, aging, and genetics. Surgery simply resets your anatomic baseline. So to put it another way, surgery will turn back the clock, but it doesn't stop the clock from ticking. And so you'll always look better than had you not had the surgical procedure, but you will continue to age over time. 
So I think it's a little bit different, Mm -hmm. but I do think that generally speaking, it can be very helpful in your overall aging pattern if you're looking at yourself versus your age-matched peers. I should say with one caveat, if you even care about this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't do this if you don't care about it. For sure. But if you care about this stuff, if you're looking at yourself versus your age-matched peers, you're going to look better if you're doing little preventative things. In the same way that, you know, if you plan to drive the same car for 100 years and you're servicing it regularly, you're going to do a lot better than your friend who doesn't service his car. Yeah, I mean, a really, really good point. So I want to talk about, you know, we see celebrities who have looked the same and like really aged so beautifully and you don't even know that they've gotten something done. So how do you achieve that? Like if if I want to look youthful up until age 60, 70, what have you, what can I do? You have to do a lot of stuff. Tell me more. (laughs) All the stuff. You have to do all the things. So, I mean, to be more specific, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about you really truly have to think about your body as as this physical house that is the you know, it's the house that houses your mind and soul and spirit. And you have to take care of it kind of like the way you take care of the apartment or house that you live in. Mm -hmm. And that means regular maintenance. So there are things that people like those beautifully, gracefully aging, ageless celebrities do that they never talk about, like literally. I've read magazines where I've seen celebrities quoted as saying, I've never done Botox. And I've thought to myself, I've personally done your Botox. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so you have to think about stuff like, you know, doing Botox every three months. You know, most people maintain injectable fillers in a very super subtle, discreet way, you know, once or twice a year. People do procedures like suture suspension lifting, which is the modern version of thread lifting, maybe once a year. Many people do very tiny, discreet surgical procedures every several years. Not every single procedure every every several years, but mm-hmm. a couple of little things. And then very meticulous skincare. So you should be using a hyaluronic acid serum, a peptide-based eye cream, an SPF, a niacin squalene neck cream every single morning. Explain these ingredients to our listeners. Okay, so hyaluronic acid serum is, you know, hyaluronic acid is the major component of the body's collagen. And it's um, basically a complex sugar molecule. As you probably know, I have my own medical grade skincare line, which we- Which I've heard is incredible, by the way. It's it's very incredible. So we, in the course of two years, started as this kind of little passion project and then have become this major worldwide brand. So we are now- Instead of just being sold to a couple of a handful of my patients, we're now sold at, you know, Sephora, Net-A-Porte, Violet Gray. We're launching at Saks. We're international in all of these locations. And it's really taken off, I think, because the products really work. Mm-hmm. So our hyaluronic acid serum is a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic acid that's niacinamide fortified. It helps boost collagen production and it hydrates the skin. So I think that's really important in the morning. Our peptide eye cream helps to improve the turgor and softness and texture of skin around the eyes. And that skin is the thinnest on the body. So it really tends to show your age. Mm -hmm. And that's a major tell with facial aging. Even if you're doing Botox and tear trough augmentation, if you have crepey skin around your eyes, that's going to make you feel and read as a little bit older. Niacin squalene neck cream is amazing because those ingredients really help nourish the delicate skin of the neck, which is an axial joint. So it really has many more movement demands than other parts of the upper body. Mm -hmm. So we need to treat it differently. And of course, SPF, like I love our SPF BB cream and, you know, everybody talks about SPF, but you need a zinc and titanium based product. So I use that, our SPF concealer and dusting powder. That's like meticulous skincare is truly everything. And then there are little tiny things like, you know, people discount the importance of the eyelashes and eyebrows, but those little framing features of the face are super important. People discount the importance of the hair, but doing things like, you know, our gummy nutraceuticals were designed to boost hair, skin, and nail growth. Those little tips and tricks are super important. And then at night, you need a vitamin CBE ferulic serum to improve hyperpigmentation, to scavenge free radical damage of the skin, to reduce brown spots, and a retinol bacuchiol to decrease fine lines. 
You know, I could talk about this forever. Okay, so I actually have a follow-up question about the the C that you're saying to use at night. I actually use my vitamin C serum in the morning. So why why do you recommend that it's used at night? So I'll just start by saying the most important thing is to use products period. So whenever you you can manage to use them, you should use them. And some people are devoted to using them in the morning. For a vitamin C serum, there's actually some evidence that if you use a vitamin C serum immediately before a retinol, it will increase absorption of the retinol. Really? Yeah. So that can be a good or bad thing depending on how sensitive your skin is. So mm-hmm. if you're super duper sensitive, increasing retinol absorption might make you a bit irritated. If you have normal, regular skin or you're not so sensitive, you have oily or sebaceous skin, using a vitamin CBE ferulic serum followed by a retinol can actually be really extra powerful and give you an extra boost in improvement of hyperpigmentation and fine lines. So that's why I like to use it at night because it will increase the absorption of the retinol that immediately follows it. That is fascinating. I yeah. I mean, I had no idea. And I think like it's it's great to know. I mean, I'm going to go and do exactly this at night now. <laughs> and t- talk to me about Bacuchiol. So Bacuchiol is a plant-based antioxidant that's a, a red wine derivative. And it's a really cool ingredient because not only does it scavenge some free radical environmental damage to the skin, but it also tempers the action of retinol. As you know, retinols can be irritating to some people mm-hmm. because they can cause some redness and irritation and dryness of the skin. When you combine our retinol with our Bacuchiol, it makes it more tolerable for more different types of skin. So So it can be really a beautiful combination and that decreases redness and irritation. So it's much more usable as a product in addition to being more powerful. That is really fascinating. So going back to Botox, when is the right time to start? Like what age do you recommend, if there is an age, because I know that everyone's different, but like when do you recommend someone starts Botox? You want to start Botox when you have the skin that you'd like to maintain. So I personally started Botox when I was 27 and, you know, that's young. I had pretty nice skin at that time, but I still have the same skin. Yeah. I mean, like later. <laughs> you literally have not one line on your forehead. It is like the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Um, thanks. So, you know, I think that you want to think about Botox as a preventative measure. Mm-hmm. You want to always use it lightly with a light hand. I think it's one of the most well-known, but one of the least understood pharmaceuticals in the United States and the world, because everyone thinks of it as freezing your face and for old people. And I think it's neither one of those things. I think you want to use it preventatively early when you have nice skin and you want to maintain it and you want to keep some movement in your face. You don't ever want to be frozen and you want to just use just enough to maintain muscle movement, but have nice skin. If you think about a teenager, they kind of have the perfect situation where they can make every single movement, every single expression, but when they rest their face, it goes all the way back to normal and it's totally smooth. And that's the ideal Botox outcome. Botox can also be used in a super beautiful finesse manner to Mm -hmm. give you a really pretty arching of the eyebrows. You can use it to improve symmetry of the face. I've even used Botox very commonly in my office for almost reconstructive reasons in people who have Bell's palsy or hemifacial paralysis or other, you know, congenital anomalies where we're trying to make one side of the face match the other side of the face to look better cosmetically. So Botox can be very cool and powerful, and it's much more than just erasing wrinkles. That is really cool. And what was the other, I guess, like procedure you were talking about with the the tear? The tear trough? Yeah. Yeah. So I was talking about tear trough augmentation. That's the use of injectable filler layered in the deep infraorbital hollow. So basically under the eye. And that can be very pretty for people who have hollowing or darkness under the eye. If you feel like you have hollow dark circles, you might be a candidate for tear trough augmentation. So I've also heard that like these procedures can go like horribly awry, like puffiness and like it just it ages you almost and it's this horrible pillowy look to your face. So What can you do here? Like what can like what are the I guess like cautionary things that you would tell someone? I think, you know, 
injectable filler is one of the most beautiful, but also one of the most ugly things that can possibly happen to your face. Mm -hmm. And it truly is a cautionary tale. But it's almost like something like makeup. You've seen it go well and you've seen it go badly. Oh my God, you're so right. And I think you need to be extremely cautious and extremely judicious. Unfortunately, and I don't know why this is, but Mm -hmm. in the United States, there are very few rules about injectables. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes 10 to 20,000 hours and more than 20 years to become a board certified plastic surgeon. But for some reason, there's very little regulation when it comes to the use of injectables in this country. And so there are people who are injecting other people's faces with very little background, training, education, knowledge, and aesthetic judgment. And so you see a lot of people, if you go around to restaurants and public places who don't look like the best versions of themselves, and sometimes people can look unusual Mm -hmm. or a little puffy or dysmorphic. Yeah. And I think that you want to avoid that. There is a ton of filler fatigue going around. And even worse, there are complications like, you know, intravascular injection, which means injection of filler into a blood vessel by accident. And that can cause tissue necrosis, which means tissue death or even permanent blindness. And so obviously these are devastating complications. There have even been case reports of literal death from filler injection when filler has been injected into a blood vessel that has somehow caused by backflow a cerebral infarction and a stroke oh and my death. goodness. And those, those case reports were published in Asia, but nevertheless, those are real human beings yeah, and that could happen so. anywhere. And I think that you need to be very careful about who you see and what you're doing. And then more philosophically, I think you need to always check yourself in mm-hmm. what you're doing. You need to make sure that you are not getting on what I sometimes think of as a hedonic treadmill. And I think this is true for all aspects of our lives when whether you're kind of online shopping on your cell phone in your bed at night or you're kind of thinking about a delicious food you want to eat or whether it's, you know, alcohol or dating or plastic surgery or really anything that can be sort of fun can also end up becoming extremely self-destructive because of this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, where you can get on a treadmill that makes you happy and then you can keep getting on the treadmill and it goes faster and faster and faster and then you cannot get off the treadmill. Mm -hmm. So you need to just make sure that you are keeping yourself in check. You need to go to a trusted plastic surgeon who's going to be able to kindly and responsibly tell you when something is not in your best interests. And people sometimes ask me, you know, do you ever say no to patients? And I say, yes, all the time. One of the most common things I say to patients is no. And I'm never mean about it. I'm never a jerk. But I often will say to patients like, you know, I don't think that's a great idea. Like, or, you know, I think you look great as you are. Let's talk about this next time. Why don't I note this down and we'll reevaluate it. But for now, this is not going to be great for you. And you need to go to somebody who's not interested in a short-term profit motive, but who's interested in your long-term health, well-being, and beauty. Because otherwise, you're going to end up looking like a puffy pillow face. A hundred percent. I've also seen cases of like younger girls, you know, like they, they start so young and it almost like ages them because maybe they're going to the wrong place or it like causes, I don't know, like issues. So have you seen that as well in your private practice? Yeah, I see sometimes patients who are sent to me in referral who are very young and they look much older than their stated mm-hmm. age. Yeah, And I think that You need to always respect facial anatomy. And I sometimes will use the hashtag in my Instagram post, subtle is the new dramatic. And it's sort of a little silly joke, like pink is the new black. But I do think subtle is the new dramatic. And I think that less is more when it comes to procedures like this. We, We should not be 
trying to do the most that is possible to the human body and face. We should be trying to do the best that is possible. And I think that's true for Botox, where we're not trying to give you the smoothest forehead in the world. We're trying to give you the nicest forehead with the best eyebrow arch and the best expression pattern. We're trying to give you the best, not the most. And same with fillers, the best, not the most. So we need to reframe the conversation a little bit. And I think we also, for the sake of the next generation, you know, plastic surgeons like me have a responsibility not just to give our patients what they want, like Burger King. It's not your way every day, right away. You know, it's a responsibility to be safe, be aesthetic, and also to create, we're creating beauty standards for the next generation. And, you know, I'm the mother of six young children, including two little daughters who are tiny now. My girls are only three and four, but I think a lot about how I'm doing things in my day-to-day life and work that are going to set the stage for how these little girls are going to grow up and think about their lives and their faces and bodies. And am I going to make it a hospitable world for them to live in or not? And I think we all who are on this side of the table or this side of the scalpel or needle Mm -hmm. or syringe, we need to think about that responsibility. I think that's a really beautiful way of thinking about it. And I'm I'm glad that there's people like you in the world who are actually, I don't know, like really embracing the uniqueness of each individual and making it a really welcoming world for everyone, no matter how they look, but like kind of, I guess, increasing how they would feel, like their confidence, if you will. So I think it's really amazing. For people who don't want to do any sort of like procedures, but they really want to optimize skincare and facials, what are the latest and greatest in facial kind of tools and those sorts of procedures that you have? Yes. So my favorite kind of non-scary, like my favorite plastic surgery light type of thing, if Mm -hmm. you're not really into this, is the gold microinfusion facial, which is basically microinfusion, microneedling. And that's where we use a customized cocktail of Botox, hyaluronic, and platelet-rich plasma, which is PRP, a blood product derivative, and micro-inject it 500 microns deep into the skin using the sterile single-use device that's a little stamper and it gives you this beautiful glass skin look and it's sometimes called a glass skin facial or microinfusion, microneedling facial. And it can be done without Botox if you're kind of not totally mentally there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be done just with PRP or just with hyaluronic, but it's a really pretty treatment to boost collagen and give you a really nice skin quality. And if you're, if that still sounds scary to you and you're kind of more an at-home kind of kind of person. I would say that the most minimalist approach to your skin would be these three ingredients. So if you really just want to pare it down and you only remember one thing from this podcast, it would be hyaluronic acid, vitamin C, B, ferulic, and retinol bacuchiol. Those are kind of the three most fundamental hero ingredients in a skincare routine starting from, you know, mid-20s and beyond. And you can build a great routine around those medical grade ingredients. And certainly more is possible. But if you start there, you're at least accomplishing something and you're doing some of the best things that we know that, and those are ingredients that have been validated in large scale randomized clinical trials, mm-hmm. you know, all over PubMed, indexed by many, many universities all over the world. So those are some very simple things that you can start. And if someone does choose to come in for this facial, how often do you recommend they come in in order to like, I mean, keep up their appearance? You could do it as infrequently as just just once really, but beautiful results last for about three months. So then every come in every three months, essentially. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's, I mean, it's doable. The last thing I want to touch on is body contouring. So talk to me about what's going on in that world. Is it all surgical? Is there also like non-invasive, like filler type situations going on these days? Yes, totally. So body contouring is such an interesting and important topic. I think there are a couple of very cool non-invasive things going on in the world of body contouring. One of them is deoxycholic acid, which is an injectable enzyme that permanently dissolves fat. 
And you can inject deoxycholic acid anywhere in the body where you have excess subcutaneous fat and it will permanently dissolve it over the course of about six to eight weeks. Wow. And it's only one injection? Yeah, it does sting a little bit. And you can do repeat injections if you don't get enough of a result or if you want a little bit more of a result. But the results that you get will be yours to keep. So any gains that you get will last forever. And it's a very cool treatment. Patients really like it. It's not as quick and easy as liposuction, but liposuction is a surgical procedure. Mm -hmm. The most common place to do it is in the double chin area, but it can be done anywhere on the body. Is this like Kybella? Is that what it is? Yeah, this is Kybella. Yeah, deoxycholic acid is the generic name of Kybella. Very cool. And what about, like, you know that trend where it's like a really like big ass and like larger hips. Mm -hmm. Is a BBL the only way to achieve that or what's going on there? Yeah, a BBL is not the only way to achieve that. Sculptra or poly-L lactic acid can be used to also build beautiful, durable collagen in the buttock and hip area. So that's one of the most popular procedures in my practice, non-surgical buttock and hip contouring. And I've co-authored the largest paper about this technique and it is a really beautiful way to get a very perfect looking buttock and hip area. So if basically anyone in the media who you've seen who has a really perfect buttock area, like any model, any celebrity, there's some sculpture involved because it's a very pretty way to get a beautiful wash of smoothness So it gets rid of cellulite, it gets rid of dimpling, it gets rid of irregularities. And Sculptra is a very interesting product because if you use it in a moderate amount, it can basically keep you in the same size jeans, but just make the buttocks look more shapely and perky. And if you use it in a smaller amount, it can be used just to smooth out cellulite. If you use it in a larger amount, it can also be used to round out lateral hip depressions or hip dips or give you more rounding or shape. So it's a very customizable product. It's very expensive to do sculpture buttock augmentation, so that's something for people to be aware of, but it's much safer. Many people don't realize that BBL or autologous fat grafting to the buttocks, aka Brazilian butt lift, is the most fatal or deadly procedure in plastic surgery. So there's a one in 3,000 risk of death with BBL. What? Which is truly crazy. Truly crazy. That's on par with open heart surgery. And it's a procedure that while it's extremely popular and very extremely highly requested is a procedure that I chose to stop performing in my practice a couple of years ago when the data about its mortality came out because I just decided that this is not ethically something that I think any reasonable person should do. Oh my goodness. So what is the risk? Like what's the risk factor? What can go wrong? The Basically the risk is that fat is being injected near some of the large vessels of the buttocks that can travel to the lungs and give you a fat embolus or a pulmonary embolus to your lungs. And that can be a fatal event. Oh my goodness. That's like one of the worst things that can happen to a person. Oh my God. Okay. That's, that's really scary. So it's truly scary. And one in 3,000 is a very high number in that's medicine. That's super high. Like that's yeah. that's like scary high. So then walk me through the sculpture process. If I want to come in and get sculpture, what happens? So sculpture is an injection. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are thinking about sculpture, this is how I explain sculpture to patients. Mm-hmm. Sculpture is not like a regular filler, like lip filler or cheekbone filler. Sculpture is a special kind of filler because it's a collagen biostimulator. So patients require a minimum of two sessions of sculpture. The first session is like planting seeds in a garden. And the second session is like watering the seeds. So you need to plan on a minimum of two sessions spaced about one month apart. They can be spaced up to a year apart, but ideally it's one about one month apart. And in those sessions, 
We will reconstitute the sculpture and inject it in the areas of concern. So I'll mark the patient in a standing position, sterilize the areas of the buttocks, hips, cellulite, lateral hip depressions, or whatever the patient and I specifically talk about and analyze, mark together in our consultation. Then the patient's going to feel a couple of needle prick injections. I'll do my best to keep the patient comfortable. It basically feels like getting a shot, like a tetanus shot in your buttocks. Mm -hmm. It's not terrible. It's typically a couple of pricks on each side. Most patients are able to stand during the procedure, which I think is helpful so that I can see the anatomy very well. But if someone prefers to lie down, then I'll mark them standing and then have them lie down so they can rest. Or if you feel like you're not the best with needles, then sometimes people will want to lie down. And then after that procedure, we'll put some Band-Aids on the patient and then we'll demonstrate a massage technique where we'll massage the buttocks five minutes, five times a day for five days and the patient will do that at home. There are no activity restrictions with Sculptra, so you can go about your normal routine. You can sit on your buttocks normally. You can exercise. You can do whatever you want. It's possible that you could have a little bruise. You can take off your Band-Aids later the same day or the next day, but it's a pretty easy procedure with no downtime. And then we'll see you back a month later and do the same exact thing. And then the sculpture results will slowly materialize over the course of a few months. So they'll Mm. gradually bloom. So back to the analogy of planting the seeds, you know, first we plant the seeds, then one month later we water the seeds, then they slowly bloom over the course of a few months. So you see your final result a couple of months after the second session of sculpture. And is it like filler where you have to keep coming and getting it done every few months? No. So the sculpture itself lasts for two to five years. Oh, but the, wow. But sculpture is special because it induces the body to produce its own collagen. So the collagen induction it creates lasts indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So that is yours to keep forever with the caveat being that the body gradually diminishes collagen slowly over time. So basically, you're building your body's own collagen reserves. So let's say you're really happy with your sculpture result. Then after two to five years, you might come back and do a little bit more of a sculpture boost just so that you have a little bit more because at that point, the sculpture is waning. Some patients will do two sessions of sculpture They'll love it and they'll say, okay, actually, I want to do a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. So one nice thing about Sculptra is that you can kind of drive your own ship. And if you're not 100% sure how big you want to go or what exactly you want with your outcome, you can do a bit, do a bit more, do a little bit more, and so on. And how do you feel about technologies like CoolSculpt and all of those ones where you just lie there and it just kind of happens? I don't love CoolSculpting. I think it's a very cool idea. Mm Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) It's a very interesting idea. And I think the concept of cryolipolysis or using cold to kill fat cells is a very interesting one. But I don't think that we are totally there yet. Like we're not completely where we need to be from a technology and science standpoint. So it's not something that I would personally do on myself. Mm -hmm. And that's my metric for whether I would do the procedure on a patient. And so... You know, it's funny. I often think about my job. Actually, it's like the only thing I think about besides my family. It's like my work. But when I'm thinking about my job and new technologies and new modalities, I do a lot of consulting work for companies and I think about this stuff all the time. One of the questions I ask myself when I'm trying to figure out if I like something is would I do it on myself? And that's always, even still after all these years, that's how I gut check everything. And if I wouldn't do it for myself, then I don't offer it to my patients. And so there are many technologies that I have been offered in my practice for free, like literally $100,000 pieces of equipment, quarter million dollar pieces of equipment that companies are trying to give me to do for free, just for pure profit in my office. And if I don't want to do them on my own body, then I'm just not going to do them for my patients because, you know, what does that mean? It means that I don't want to own my outcomes. And if I don't want to own it, like if I don't want to live with it every day in me, then I don't want to live with it every day in you or anybody else. And so that's how I feel about cool sculpting personally. And that's just my opinion. So please do not sue me. That is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Of course. No, that's that's uh, yeah. really a lot of integrity. We've gone over a lot of stuff in this conversation. If you could leave our listeners with 
one tip, what would it be? My one tip is that even though my life is all about plastic surgery and beauty and thinking about beauty and the details and kind of the external ways that I achieve it, I really think that beauty is about confidence. And I think that modern beauty is different for each person. And I think that anyone who's listening to this should think about wanting to be your own kind of beautiful on your own terms, whatever that means to you. And the last thing that I would want anyone to leave this podcast feeling is that just because I'm a plastic surgeon, I'm talking about plastic surgery modalities, is that you have to go out and go get yourself some Botox or you have to go, you know, get yourself some breast implants or whatever other procedure. Beauty standards are extremely personal. And it's one thing that I wish that I had realized when I was younger and you know, wishing that I had a different color hair or a different kind of body or a different X, Y, or Z. I think that it's very important that we try to communicate with ourselves and each other that these ideas are extremely personal and that if you choose to think about these procedures, they should be decisions that come from within. And if you choose to go down this road, make sure that you think about these decisions in a smart way because you only have one mind and body and you want to take very good care of it. So make very smart choices and don't cut corners when it comes to your health and safety and beauty because there are real risks to these are real medical procedures. So I think that there's a lot of emphasis on making spur of the moment and quick decisions, but I think that we need to think about safety when it comes to these procedures. That's really wise. Tell everyone where they can find you. Find me on Instagram at Lara Devgan MD, and you can shop my skincare line at drlaradevgan.com, Sephora, Net-A-Porter, Violet Gray, or anywhere you buy your beauty products. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif Hyder. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week.